Welcome to Bite Size Jazz, a short music podcast where we interview up-and-coming jazz musicians, world-renowned jazz musicians, and everyone in between. They give us an inside scoop on their latest albums, and we'll play short clips of their music so you can get a taste of their sound. Learn more at bitesizejazz.com or by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'm Stephanie Steele. Thanks for listening. If you feel like moving, let your mind be free. Today's guest on the podcast is the multi-award-winning jazz vocalist Jasmia Horn. She won the 2013 Sarah Vaughan International Jazz Competition and the 2015 Thelonious Monk Institute International Jazz Competition, after which point she released two albums, A Social Call in 2017 and Love and Liberation in 2019, both of which were nominated for Grammys. And she has recently released a third album, which she will tell us more about, so let's welcome her to the show. Hello everyone, I'm Jasmia Horn. Uh, I just released my latest record, which is a big band record entitled Dear Love, on my very own Empress Legacy Records. And I'm super excited to be here in the studio with Stephanie today. Stephanie, thank you very much for having me. Thank you for joining me. I'm really excited. I've been enjoying your album a lot. And you released it on your own album, sorry, not your own album, on your own label that you mentioned, the Empress Legacy uh, records. So what uh, drove you to, or what led you to that decision to release it on your own versus going to another label? Um, I did actually, I, I went to a couple of different labels um, after I left Concord. And uh, well, well, first I, I said to Concord, hey, you know, I don't want to be 45, 50 years old, 60 before doing a big band record. And even though I'm very young and still, you know, at the very beginning of my career, I'd like to try this. And they say, well, we'd love to have it, but we just don't have a budget for it. You know, it's the middle of the COVID. We got to make a return on our investment. We just don't know. And I said, well, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to move on. And so I looked into different companies. I reached out to so many of them. Um, and some of them wanted a 360 deal where they wanted a piece of my book. They wanted a piece of my master class. They wanted a piece of my music. They wanted a little bit of everything that I do. Um, I just feel like that's colonialism. That's like modern day, you know? So I was like, no, thank you. Um, and so, you know, I figured it out. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to call and talk to as many people as I possibly can about, you know, what it's like to start a record company and the different tools and things that I would need. And I did a lot of research and actually I've been doing research over the past two years because I knew eventually I'd want to do it, um, you know, after, possibly after my, my contract was over with Concord. So I had been doing some studying and just figuring out what I would actually need to do it and how things should be working. And so I did, you know, and it, and it feels so liberating. It's, it's a really liberating experience. And people are, you know, also happy and excited and other artists are, you know, jumping on the bandwagon and they're calling me and asking questions, you know, they're like, the album's doing well and you released it on your own, you know, what do I do? And I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Because what works for me may not necessarily work for everybody, you know, so I'd love to advise, but I saw also, it's just important to know that we, we're all very eclectic in our own ways and, you know, we should be doing what we, we feel is necessary in our own rights. So Yeah, I'm really excited. And it's been a great, it's been a very humbling experience to say the least. Yeah, I like how you said, oh, well, you're not going to do it for me. Fine. I guess I'll do it for myself. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My music has to, 
it has to um, be out there, you know, like people are waiting. I remember doing interviews very much like this one a couple of years ago and people would say, well, what's next? And I'd say a big fan record. And then, you know, I can't do that and then not deliver. So why a big band album then? What was your what made you want to do it so bad? Um, well, I have been playing with, uh, you know, different orchestras around the world, like the Metropole or uh, the WDR, um, Scottish International, Basie even. There's there's a lot of orchestras and big bands that I have been playing with. And it's so fun you, when you play with a band and there's that many interesting instruments. It's like it's like you're floating, you know, it's you kind of are. It's like you're taking off. I don't know how to explain it in a way that <laughs> that would probably make sense. But the feeling of all those, that's that whole sound, that vibration around you, all of that energy, it just feels so good, you know. And I wanted to see what it was like to write. You know, I wrote all the arrangements and most of the songs for this record. I wanted to see what it was like. And it was hard as hell. <laughs> yeah, writing big band charts is no joke. <laughs> it was so difficult. Oh, my God. You know, it was a lot of work on top of being a mom and teaching courses. And, oh, it was a lot, you know. And I, I, I felt like even though I wasn't on the road, you know, it was still a lot of work to be done. So I wanted that experience. I wanted to know what it was like. There hasn't been many vocalists, or actually I don't think there's been any vocalists, according to my research so far, I don't think there's been any vocalists um, who, you know, hopped on the scene and decided to write their own big band arrangements and then sing it as well. I just don't, I haven't been able to find one. Um, and I like challenges and I said, you know, the sound is already amazing. Let's see if I can actually do this. And then, when everything was over and we got into the rehearsals and those musicians started playing my music, it was an overwhelming experience. That feeling was like no other. It was, it was, I guess I could compare it to like, you know, the first time I delivered my babe, my first child and I, and I saw her and her face and I was like, wow, this thing, this person, this baby just came out of me, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. And to like hear my music being played all that hard. It took me about four and a half, maybe five months to finish writing all this music. You know, I worked on a little bit every day and to finally hear it being played. That's the only thing that I can that I could um, compare it to. But there's no other, you know, there's no other feeling. It just felt so beautiful and organic and wholesome. And I cried a little bit because it was hard work. You know, right. it was so hard. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Like you said, just seeing like something come from your head out into the rest of the world, that just it's an amazing feeling right there. Yeah, for sure. And tell me about how you balanced some of those responsibilities. Like having kids is like a full-time thing in and of itself. I mean, you can't just, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> take a break, take a day off from that unless you get someone to babysit, right? So how do you juggle all your responsibilities while still pursuing the things you love? Discipline, you know. I would say it takes a lot of discipline. You have to, I only do what I love, right? Because if I don't love it, I'm just not going to put, I'm not even going to, I'm not going to waste my time. 
I'm just not. So I love my babies and I have to take care of them. They are blessings and they were given to me by the creator. So it's my duty to make sure they are educated, to make sure they're healthy, to make sure they're well mentally. But then my, my, my music is also a gift. You know, my children are not the only gifts that I have. So it's my job to cultivate all of my babies and take care of all of my babies, whether it's my career, whether it's my body that is a vessel for this music, whether it's my babies that came through my vessel, whatever it is, if it's around me, it's my job to take care of it. And, you know, I just I just make sure like on certain days, I only do interviews on certain days. I only spend time with the babies on certain days. I only write music and I make sure that I, I give them e the equal amount of time. Now, granted, my children are actually human beings and you know, sometimes the career, you know, goes not out the window, but it goes on the back burner so that I can take care of them. Um, and, and they both aid each other. Like a lot of my music, like, for example, on my my um, previous record, Love and Liberation, when I say was was actually written by them, you know, so my baby's kind of, you know, my musical child and my actual children, they kind of feed each other. You know, my career is what helps me to keep a roof over my, my daughter's head. And my music is what helps me to make money. <laughs> so, you know, and my children are, are you know, um, they help me to stay creative and stay on top of my thing. So it's, you know, it's kind of a reciprocal um you know, interconnected web, so to speak. Yeah, you know? they just keep feeding off of each other. Yeah. yeah, it's helpful that way. Yeah. And this album is titled Dear Love. Where did that title come from? Dear Love is really about, I wanted to um, express my poetry a lot more in my music. You know, and once I did leave the record company, I felt like I could do that. And I've always wanted to. And so Dear Love is comprised of, everything within me, like all of my love letters, all of my, my letters to my community, you know, that poem, those poems and that poetry is, is a big part of what I want to say and how I want to say it. You know, you think about Nia and, and you think about um, Money Can't Buy Me Love. All of these are just things that have been like lying in my head that I've wanted to say for a while. And so I, I finally am able to express them in my own sweet way. So Dear Love is just really a, a love letter to, you know, the lover that I've yet to meet somewhere. I mean, I've been married before, but that's old news, you know, mm -hmm. my, my, my lover that I don't know that's out there. But then my whole community that's out there, those are with me now and those that are going to join me later you know, strive to be guys, strive. I'm, I'm trying to give that love and that positivity, um, you know, to fans, to community, to family, to friends. Um, and then also, you know, just, just to myself really too, because that's, I'm also a part of that equation. So there's that self-love too, um, that's there. So it's, it's all in, encompassing. And that's what I tried to do is just share this love with everybody, all of my lovies. <laughs> I love that you're trying to share so much love and positivity to the world throughout your album. I think that's such a nice message, especially in today where things are so heated politically and everyone's arguing with each other all the time. That's true. I think uh, we, we need to be the eye of the hurricane and find that balance, even though there's a lot of chaos and commotion going on around us. We need to get back to love, the love that was lost. And you mentioned Can't Buy Me Love. Was that tune 
a spin-off the Beatles song or Yeah, yeah okay, okay. Cause I, I loved the like the intro, like the verse you put on the beginning of it. That was really nice. Well, thank you. Thanks a lot. Yeah, that's um I tried to go, you know, I love musical theater and I tried to, some of these jazz tunes were once pop tunes, you know, they were once, you know, in the theaters, you know, and so I kind of like tried to add to that. So I wrote this verse and I just stuck it at the beginning, you know, <laughs> and, and kind of made it fit there with the arrangement. Right. So yeah, it's definitely a Beatles tune. And uh, this arrangement is, you know, the poem is like the main feature in this arrangement. Well, the strings too, you know, um, but I kind of wanted it to sound like a love song. But at the same time, it makes you think, you know, you have to think about what it is. The poem is, the poem is entitled Faces. It's so funny to me, but people don't laugh when they listen to it. I mean, there have been a few of my friends who have laughed when hearing it. And I laugh every, I laugh back every time I listen to it. <laughs> Wow, I actually did this. That's funny. Um, so it's yeah, it's it was a it was fun for me to record that, and also like I really just want people to think about what we hold in our hands and how we treat each other. You know, faces those people are dead and gone, but what was the legacy that they lived, and are we continuing that or are we not? And if we are, why? And if we're not, why? Just think about life and and everything. You know, yeah. I just I just want to drop some seeds and. Hopefully people just kind of listen and think. <laughs> if I had all the money in the world, would I be happy? Could I be happy? If I had money to buy all of my life supplies, would I be happy? Could I be empty? Money can to love or buy myself respect or trust like people do money can buy the part of me that naturally shines through and you keep mentioning uh, poetry so can you tell me about your love of poetry and how you got into that well, my granddaddy and my dad, you know, and even my mom in a, in a certain way are all pastors, evangelists, reverends of a church that I grew up in back home. And they always had something to say, you know, and, and they all had their own unique way of saying it. And I think that that was embedded in me, you know, to be able to speak in public. My parents were really good. All of my parents, grand and parent, you know, they were all just really good at um, speaking and it just stuck with me. And I and I really love poetry. I like reading, you know, different from different poets and different authors, just, you know, having really um, important things to say. And and uh, I really like Michelle Indicello's album, The Bases, that she did an album with a lot of poetry there. And I like Jill Scott, you know, in, in her way of, of um, integrating her poetry in her music. Um, and even even so far back as um, Maya Angelou, she was also an artist as well. And so you listen to to the records and the live things that she recorded and the live sh live shows that she had and how she integrated music and jazz with her poetry. I'm very much inspired by that, and I think that that's hip. You know, and and it's not always about what what I say. 
in terms of the melody and the lyrics, but sometimes I have to take it a little bit further and put my actual voice in there. It's like, it's like a woman, you know, if you see a woman and she's already gorgeous and then you see her again and she has on makeup, you're like, wow, it's just an embellishment, you know, it adds to the whole. And so I think my poetry is like that for, for my music. It's like the, the cherry on top of the cake or something. So I would love to dig into some of your original tunes and some of your arrangements. Let's start with uh, Where We Are. And I would love if you could tell me about the inspiration behind that tune. Yeah, sure. Um, where We Are was written during the, the like the peak of the pandemic. And there were moments and days when I just wanted to just give up on life, really. Um, and so I created, it started off as a mantra. Love carried me from where I'm from. And brought me into where we are. And I would just sing it with my daughters. And, you know, it became a mantra. And they would hear me singing it and I'd be crying in my room and they would come in and be like, are you okay, mommy? And they started singing it with me. And this was even way before I had the verses. You know, this was just something that I would just sing and sing and sing. And then eventually, you know, I got over my hardships, you know, because it was a really hard time for us. We were not going on the road. You know, and I'm I'm writing all of this music. And so I decided to release it, you know, before the big band records. So I released Where We Are a year ago. It was like a little small short EP with two just two tracks on it, Where We Are and Strive. And um these were like mantras for me that helped me get through, you know, not being able to leave my apartment in New York City with my children and just being stuck in there and just, you know, all the stuff that was going on. The, you know, the music was something that really helped me to revitalize my spirit all the time. And I couldn't go and see my family. My mom had gotten sick. My father passed away. There was a lot going on. And I and I felt like everybody around me was also going through the same kind of stuff. And I wanted to write something to share. So originally I had just um, recorded it on like Pro Tools and I sent it to my family. And they were like, yo, this is so beautiful. You know, this is cool. And then I decided to release it. So it's about you know, love. <laughs> Here, There's the message again, right? Mm-hmm. It's, I'm, I'm a little bit redundant with my message, but I mean, that's how you get it across. You just say the same thing over and over. Yeah, that's what you have to do. Yeah. So so I, I, I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to record this and I have to think about, you know, what I really want to say. And I just thought about the woman and how like there's so many, you know, there were so many businesses that lost business or um, kind of failed and you look at who's actually running like what's happening and you think about all the janitors and all the moms and all the babysitters and you know all of the women who contribute to this not just the music industry but just our nation in general in America we're raising the babies we are um, the secretaries and the executives behind the desk in these five fortune, you know, companies, we're running the, we're calling the shots and making sure that things get done. And so I kind of wanted to, um, you know, have this song be like our, our song, you know, for women and represent women in a, in a particular kind of way. Um, and so, yeah, so, so it's, you know, love carried me from where I'm from and brought me into where we are. And if you think about the woman, you know, she has to carry me from where I'm from, be it heaven, be it somewhere in the ether, through her womb, into the planet. And that's where we are, you know. 
And so I, I thought about my mom and my my grandma and my great grandma and all the all the women who live within me through the mitochondria DNA, you know, the mitochondria part of my DNA, like all of those women and, and what they had, had to go through in order for me to get to where I am now. And I have reverence. So that's what Where We Are is about. It's really for the women who have paved the way before all of us. Um, I'm not a feminist because I love my men. I love men. (laughs) But I think that we need we need to embrace women. You know, I think that that's what's missing in our society. And that's why things are so shitty is because we don't respect women anymore. Um, And I say we not not saying myself, you know, but I say we because I'm a part of this society. So, yeah. That's that's where we are. It may get hard to see the light. You may grow weary through the night. But there is one thing I know for sure. The love carried me from where I'm from and brought me into where we are she carried me from where i'm from and brought me into where we are how about the song now that we just talked about you know women and their roles how about the song he could be perfect yeah so he could be perfect is actually not an original composition of mine it was written by a brother named lafayette harris Um, I came to know him in about 2012, maybe 11. Um, He used to have a jam session at the Lennox Lounge. Well, not not necessarily a session. He would he would play a set and he would invite certain people to come up and play with him. So it it was a semi session. Um, You had to know him. But the Lennox Lounge was like the black, the last black owned jazz club in Harlem. And it closed down in like. I don't know, 2014, 2013, maybe. I don't remember exactly. But um, so many people became famous there, like Billie Holiday got her stardom, um, Eddie Jefferson. There's a bunch of different people that, you know, that became famous. And it used to be very, um, very popular during the Harlem Renaissance. And so it was just amazing to play there. And one day he played the song there. And then a couple of years later, he had a gig and he invited me and he said, I wrote this song and I want you to help me come up with the lyrics or think about, you know, how you could contribute to the lyrics and contribute to the song in general. And so I did. And we played it many times. Um, and since he was somebody and is still somebody who I, I look up to, but who has always looked looked after me, you know, in terms of giving me, you know, gigs when I had first moved to New York and, you know, teaching me about theory a little bit when I had no idea what the hell I was doing. <laughs> so I kind of wanted to, you know, write an arrangement and you know and it's really about the story you know he wrote she or he could be perfect and i just say he could be perfect because i like men and so um so yeah like i i met a guy once and and i had this very thought like dang he's he's handsome he's educated he's great with kids like he could be perfect you know (laughs) you have those thoughts when you meet someone that you like and so you know, we all can relate to that, no matter, you know, what we're interested in or who and how we're interested in them. But I think that that's relatable to, to all people. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I want to include that on the album. Smiles at me, making me weak in my knees, oh golly. Should I submit to his plea? 
And how about the song Let Us Take Our Time? Well, that's like after he's perfect and you guys meet, you know, and you hang out and you have a couple of drinks and you go on several dates and then you decide to be together. It's like before we like really, you know, build together, let us build together. Like before we get married or before we have sex or before we whatever, you know, before we do the do, let us establish something great because the world is really messed up. And I think that, you know, it's like you take our time and, and build something amazing. Let's think about things that we're not taught in school, like generational wealth. You know, let's let's start to build that before we even create children with our bodies. Let's do something else with our bodies, like with our mind. Let's think about this process and where we want to go and what's going to happen in our future and how we can be partners and not just lovers, you know? So that's really what that's about. And then if you, you think about the video, I mean, there's so much, there's so much provocative stuff out there. You know, there's a lot of, and don't get me wrong. I like, I like twerking and what it's, a, what it's about. But I think there's so much of that that I, that the children are just it's being embedded into, you know, the psychosis of, of the brains of, you know, it's it's, it's uh, you know, it's hard because I don't want to condemn anyone for doing what they do in their artistry. But I think that there needs to be a balance out there. You don't have to be naked. You don't have to curse. You don't have to have all the money in the cars and the clothes and the sex and the women and the men and the you don't have to have all of that to be successful and to create a love song. Things can be sensual and sexy without sharing all of your body and your, you know, certain things. And so I just wanted to put that message out there that, you know, with the, especially with the music video, that first of all, jazz is still hip. <laughs> mm-hmm. And second of all, you know, there's a way to do things. It doesn't always have to be, you know, you don't always have to have yourself hanging out. So, yeah, I like that, especially because then it's all coming from a place that's more centered on love rather just like this lustful, like, oh, I just want this person. You know, it's more like, no, I'm thinking about this and I care about them. Right. Yes, absolutely. You get it. Thanks, Stephanie. (laughs) tune on there lover come back to me which and before that song you have the track back to me which is just short and i was just kind of curious about how the two correlated together because back to me was kind of short i noticed you had like you know a couple different voices singing and you had the metronome on in the track and then you transitioned into lover come back to me so how do those two correlate with each other um well first of all this the way that i wrote all the music to this big band um album was that i sang everything into pro tools and garage band um first before it was like transcribed um because i wanted to make sure that all the sounds in my head 
were actually coming out. Like I wanted to be be honest with myself and also make sure that my arrangements actually come across well. Um, and so, you know, that's like, that's my approach. And so when I finished recording, there was, um, there was, I, I sent my music to a specific person to have them transcribe everything and write it out for big band, because I know nothing about writing parts for big band. Let me just tell you. And that's what I meant when I said this was a humbling experience because normally I write for tenor saxophone and trumpet. And we all know that, that those, both of those instruments are E flat instruments and they're a ninth apart sonically. So that's super easy for me to do. I'm used to doing that. But then when you add the alto saxophone, you add the baritone sax, it's too much work. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Trying to remember all those transpositions. Uh, uh, it's too much. It's too much. I don't know what Dizzy and Basie and all those cats, Mingus. Oh, wait. That's a lot of work. So, you know, I, I just sang everything because it was in my head anyway. And uh, and when the person transcribed it, some of the parts were wrong. Like when we got to the rehearsal, some of the parts were wrong. And so I took my laptop and I would play my my recording. And they were like, yo, you, the musicians were like, you sang all of these parts? And I was like, yeah. So when I tell you you're playing it wrong, you're playing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, well, well, it's not that I'm playing it wrong. I'm playing what's written, you know? And so we had to go back and fix some of the charts. But the thing is, you know, all of that sound was already in my head. And so they were like, you need to share this with the world. Like, you can't just, they were like, if I were you, I would release this whole album uh, with just the voices because you sang all of these parts already. You have a whole album, basically the whole album, I sang the whole thing, you know? And so I wanted to share little snippets. I was like, all right, cool. What if I share maybe 30 seconds of this so you can actually see and hear the arrangement before it became a big band arrangement, like before actual musicians that are not vocalists played it. Um, and then, but what I would do with like the baritone saxophone part and the bass trombone part was just played on the piano. Cause I can't sing that low. What? Right? <laughs> yeah, I was just played on the piano with the rest of the track, you know? Um, and so it worked out. So that's what you're hearing back to me. It's just, me saying like, hey, check this out. This is just, these are snippets of how these arrangements sounded before they actually came together. So I'm just sharing a little bit of, of um, you know, my intake. And I love Billie Holiday. Actually, um, another another uh, singer that sang Lover Come Back to Me is Cassandra Wilson. And that was actually one of the first albums that I heard of hers with that tune on it. And I loved, I fell in love with it. Um, and so it was not just Billy, it was, it was also her as well, Cassandra Wilson as well. So yeah, I, I, I love the piece and, uh, you know, I try to sing things that I, that I relate to only, you know, if I can't relate to it, I, I don't sing it. Like for a while I wouldn't sing Lush Life because I didn't know what it was like to be in a jazz club. My parents didn't play that. I couldn't go out and stuff. So, <laughs> you know, but Billy Strayhorn was 16 when he wrote that. That's incredible. Um, at 16, I wasn't thinking like that at all. Yeah, well, that's really cool. And I love how you kind of gave a sneak peek. Maybe you should release an album with just you singing all the horn parts. It'd be really cool. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this aching heart of mine is singing. Love her come back to me. Oh, well, oh, oh. I remember every little this aching heart of mine is singing Love will come back to me 
Actually, I was supposed to be releasing a trio version of this on my last record, but Concord didn't like it. They were like, ah, oh, it's too different from everything else that you did. And, you know, you're going to have to really think about it. You know, people are not going to like it. And so now that I have my own label, I'm like, well, you know, like at the end of like a Beyonce or like the um, Destiny's Child's record, they would have like a, a gospel song, song and it would be in tribute to God. And, you know, I kind of wanted to to follow in those footsteps of where it's like, okay, this is completely different than everything that's on the album. And that's okay. Um, and, and so many of the stations are play like now there's pop stations and R and B stations that are actually playing this tune, which is good. Cause it's getting me into a different, you know, audience. And that's really smart. I really dig that. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's funny that they would say, Oh, no one will like this one. And, now everybody it, loves it. Yep. <laughs> Too bad for you guys. <laughs> Just shows you said you should stick to your guns when it comes to your music no and your art. What. Yes, and that's what I'm trying to tear down the walls and share with the people. Like, hey, if you if the mind believes it, you can achieve it. Don't worry about the the mouths of other people because they don't know. They thought Einstein was crazy, and now everybody is following all his methods. You know, they thought John Coltrane was out of his wacko and now everybody's playing his changes. So do you. You don't need no preacher. You got your history. Yeah, yeah. So we're like you're free. Where's freedom? Freedom's in your mind. Let your mind be free. So we're like you're free. You've been listening to an interview with Jasmia Horn about her new album, Dear Love. If you like what you heard, you can find the full album anywhere you stream music. We've also included a link in this episode's description, along with a link to Jasmia's website so you can learn how to support her and her music. And if you're enjoying the podcast, we have included a link in the description to the Bite Size Jazz website where you can sign up for our brand new newsletter to get new episodes sent directly to your inbox. You can be the first to know when new interviews are released and to get exclusive sneak peeks in the upcoming episodes. I'm Stephanie Steele. Thanks for listening to Bite Size Jazz.